You ready, Brenda? Yes. Okay. Time is 540, and the meeting will begin. Brenda, you want to do roll call? Yes. Loretta Mallon? Present. Witcher Harvey Jr.? Present. Lucy Angel will not be here tonight. B. Franks Walker? Here. Tammy Wessel? Present. Mark Smith? Here. Derek Turner? Ali Yassin will not join us tonight. We have a quorum. Thank you. All right. Well, welcome everybody to 2023. Happy New Year to all of you. I hope you all had two good holidays, and um, I hope that the coming year brings you good health and um, everything else that you, you might need in your life right now. Um, I'm really pleased to welcome Tammy Rosso. She's our new board member. Hi, Tammy. And um, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, Tammy? Sure. My name is Tammy Rosso. Um, I am a mother of seven, and um, I'm brand new to this whole process. Uh, Looking forward to learning about it. That's it. Great. We're really glad to have you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, let's go to uh, item B. We have some action items here to approve the minutes from our December 13th meeting and also to adopt the resolution authorizing remote teleconferencing meetings pursuant to AD 361. Someone like to move on that. I, I move that the, the minutes of the last meeting be approved. One second. Sorry, one sec, Mark. Did you want to do these separately, or were you making a motion to approve both the resolution and the minutes? Um, I actually um, moved to approve both. Thank you for clarifying. Appreciate it. Okay, great. Brenda, would you mind doing a vote on that? Yeah, yes. I will call your name for the vote and please state yes or no. Loretta Mellon? Yes. Witcher Harvey Jr.? Yes. Yeah. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Tammy Wessel? Yes. Mark Smith? The motion pass. Great, thank you. Okay, um, item C, Damon, are you with us? I am, yeah, I'm here. Hi, Damon. Welcome, welcome. Okay, it's all yours. Thanks. Um, welcome, Tammy. Um, good, to, good to have you join us formally. Um, I think this is my first time meeting you, but I think everyone else uh, I've met before, so just introducing myself for your sake. Um, 
So uh, I don't really have much for the report today. I think we're at about the same place. We usually talk about the, the COVID pandemic, and we're at about the same place as we were last month with that, continuing in the medium tier, which means um, it is required still um, that everyone mask in all um, homeless shelters and homeless service uh, settings. Um, we don't have a, a ton more um, outbreak investigations happening in those settings. Um, there is a, a wind-down plan in place for the large um, isolation and quarantine, but the county is going to maintain right. some small capacity for isolation and quarantine. So basically the same the same status that we were at as of um, December with regard to um, the COVID-19 pandemic and people experiencing homelessness. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to highlight um, was that a report came out in the last month from the Corporation for Supportive Housing, which was mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, Loretta, I don't know if you mentioned this already because I wasn't logged on during your board chair report, but they they quantified the um, the amount of money that would be needed to house everybody who is likely to experience homelessness over the next uh, I believe 12 years and came to a dollar amount of about eight billion dollars a year um, which is about three percent of the statewide uh, the state the state's state of California's budget um, and you know concluded that it you know it's within the realm of possibility and um, and doable for the state to commit the resources required to end homelessness. Uh, so it was exciting to see someone actually put a real number to it because I've just been part of these conversations, you know, for years and years where people say, well, we're spending so much money on homelessness and we're actually spending, you know, way, way, way less than that amount. Um, and um, a lot of what we've done, you know, during the COVID pandemic has been really beneficial. Okay. Um, we've seen, especially within pockets around the state, real, real changes in the numbers of people who are experiencing chronic homelessness. But it's nice to finally have, you know, kind of a target to shoot for and a way to explain to folks how far away we are from the resources we actually need to end homelessness in California and to, to then give us a goal that we can shoot for in our advocacy and you know, in our in our policy um, work and in, in our programmatic work. So um, I'll send that link out to everybody um, after this meeting. I think it's a really valuable report to, to review and puts a lot of our work in, in good context. And that's, okay. that's all that I have for you. I'm happy to take any questions. Hey, COVID, we said this before, is like a trial run of what we could really do. And, uh, you know, it, it really has shown everyone that we, we can do it. We can house these people. We we um, have to be creative and have to be willing to put forth the money. So that's, that's a good report, Jamin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one other, oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Um, I just had a question about the COVID totals. Now, I read an article just yesterday that uh, the Macy's department store was changing their hours. They were actually shortening their hours due to the fact um, of a heavy COVID uh, presence in their workers. So I don't know how that affects our totals per se, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, we've, we've um, it's been, you know, in the last several months in ups and downs in terms of, you know, having enough uh, staff and providers in clinics. Um, 
I think at the moment we're at a we're at an okay place, and um, we monitor the situation regularly. And then if we if we are noticing that we have more staff out, we um, we have um, plans in place to you know figure out how we can convert some of our visits to um, telephone visits, for example, and, and do the things right. that we need to maintain care for our population. But right now we're not. We're not at the current moment in any sort of staffing uh, crisis situation. Okay. Um, I think more we've been dealing with lately is the weather. Um, uh, yeah. Expecting you know people out on the streets um, pretty severely. Healthcare for the homeless has been putting out updates on where people can get um, you know emergency services. The the county healthcare for the homeless team, and um, we've we've suspended our mobile services one day last week for a wind advisory because mm. the van of course is a pretty tall vehicle. Including the COVID bivalent vaccine, so that's 
fully programmed into our systems now once we can get people into primary care. Um, you know, as we've talked about as part of our strategic plan, we're moving toward thinking about the mobile service as more of a primary care service itself, in which case we can follow up on those, on those same uh, reminders, which we call care gaps in our system. Um, but they're probably, you know, because, because of the very small numbers of people who get connected to primary care from the mobile van, there probably is quite a bit of missing, um, you know, opportunity to, to get folks boosted. Not because we're seeing folks and not boosting them, but just because we're not seeing folks. Um, you know, and I think, um, you know, I, I would have to ask Lucy about what the situation is with their street teams, what's going on county countywide. But I, I imagine it's probably pretty similar to us where we had these big outreach pushes for the first round. But um, as you're alluding to, Mark, I think the, there's probably been a big drop off if we're even able to calculate it in terms of the numbers getting boosted. Thank you. Just one more thing, because to me it really underscores the, the essential need for primary care. Like we often build step-down services from the hospital for people experiencing homelessness. We often build outreach procedures for people experiencing homelessness, but we really, really, really need to build ongoing continuity care for exactly, you know, this kind of a situation, right? We've got the initial dose to folks, but how are we keeping people protected over time? And so I think our strategic plan really, really speaks to that in, in both the, the first and the third element of it. And I'm hoping that we can continue to build toward that. Yeah. Well, um, let me ask uh, this. Um, regarding primary care and building it out, um, I, I, I think that's something that um, I think uh, we as a board um, uh, given its importance, uh, should definitely prioritize as part of our goal go, uh, going forward for uh, this coming year. Yeah, I agree, Mark. All right, if there's no questions, I think we can um, send it back to you, Loretta. All right, thank you. Okay, um, item D. We um, have Grace Messina with us tonight, and she's going to um, give us the finance report. Oh, here's Grace. Um, oh, are you going to project it for me? That'll be great. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, I think this is the first time I've actually joined this um, this board meeting, and this is actually the first time that we'll be presenting an entity-based financial statement. Um, we've started doing this. Um, for our finance committee for AHS and the board of trustees just recently and it, it you know and and we produce this every month so now we can actually um, share this with um, you guys as well so here is the um, November financial report um, it looks like I have a lot of pages but I really don't um, a lot of it is appendix so this is just key uh, information on this um, you know, we have the FQHC, which is comprised of primary and specialty services loca located in Highland, Eastmont, including the Mobile Health Clinic, Hayward, and Newark Health Centers. And we are we are granted the FQHC status because we are a sub recipient agreement with uh, Alameda County Health Care for the homeless program and uh, subject to regulatory regulatory requirements under HRSA. I think these items are not new to you guys. Um, in March of 2022, this is pretty significant. Our Highland uh, Clinic
became FQHC again. Uh, they were uh, they had temporarily been ceased uh, billing for FQHC. We resumed billing them as FQ um, in March 2022. So for a while we were getting really under reimbursed in this mm-hmm. clinic um, as you know reimbursement for FQHC is much better than um, if we were to bill it as a fee for service. Um, so we're still in negotiations yeah. with the rate and hopefully a settlement to go back to previous years on that. But um, we don't have we don't have any idea when that's going to happen. Um, but we're working on it. Um, and then we added the Bridge Clinic at Highland um, um, at Highland Campus, but it is not yet an FQHC site. And I know we're working towards getting them um, certified as an FQ. So this is just some information that. Um, you know, the FQHC has paid FTEs. The current month is 446. It's five FTEs over. Um, and then the year to date is 10 FTEs over. And you can see the prior year to date is, you know, really different in terms of FTEs. And the reason for that is in prior year, last, this time last year, um, we weren't FQ and Highland. So that's excluded from this number. That, that's why you see the numbers really funky. Um, and then in the payer mix, um, we have um, higher payer mix in the actual than the budget. So our Medi-Cal and Medi-Cal Managed Care, which are the FQ, um, is 72% in the actual year to date versus 67%. So we have a better payer mix. And HPAC, which is under the other government, is actually lower than budget. So we have better re- reimbursement because of that as well.
next uh, slide, please. So this is the entity financial statement for FQHC. Um, so you can see the month to date and year to date, and that's the actual. And you can see right below that, like for example, the total revenue all sources is $6.4 million month to date and $30 million for um, year to date. The budgeted revenue is right below it. So um, it's not in a column space, but you can see our revenue is better than budget. Mm -hmm. um, and that's basically a factor of the gross revenue being higher and um, the, um, and the um, collection percentage is being higher. So you can see our budgeted collection percentage was 37.9 month to date, 38.9 year to date, and we're actually coming in at a much higher than number than that. And that's because also of the FQ status. You know, the FQ status is not a whole year in FY 2023, whereas last year when we did the budget, it was partial. We did try to accommodate it, but we understated it. We have better collections this year than before. Um, you know, we're working through the denials and making sure all the charges are captured. Our gross charges is actually more than budget, which is why the net revenue is high as well. Um, the other government programs is really an allocation from HPAC amendment and the SPA from uh, Prop 56. Um, they are allocated and other other operating revenues that 383 and 1552. Uh, those are revenues that, alloc that is allocated to FQ uh, based on direct operating expense, which is about nine nine. So this, you can also see the presentation that we do for the board of AHS. 
Um, it includes all the entities in, in, in total. Okay, um, and then the next slide, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Go back. I'm sorry. One more, one more thing I wanted to. Um, so we have what's called the monthly operating reviews. And for FQAC, it has not started yet because we didn't really have a leader. Um, now we have an interim leader for the operations. And of course, we have Dr. Mack for the dyad partner. Um, we're going to start doing that sometime in the next couple of months. And we've done it for the rest of the entities already. And this is to identify any opportunities that we may have and then implement any action plans. So for example, on, um, on the hospital side, we have, you know, we have a lot of variances. We can't meet our overtime goals. So we have action plans to try to meet that goal um, to get us there. So that's going to be something that we're going to be doing with the FQAC uh, pieces so that we can um, minim you know, get some opportunities improved and improve our financial as well. Um, and then we also, things that we are still needing to do on the entity financials, we were going to add entity key statistics like cost per FTE or some things like that. We haven't quite um, done that yet, and we're in the process of doing that. Um, we also have some um, performance improvement initiatives that we submitted to the budget, mostly around overtime, registry usage, um, you know, length of stay, which wouldn't affect you. Um, so we need to actually allocate the per those performance improvement initiatives. Right now, they're all in the um, they're all in the um, SSC in the overhead departments, but we haven't allocated it to the entity. So we would need to do that. Um, we need to still validate revenues and understand the collection ratios. Um, continue to work on direct costing of all the expenses. So right now we're doing this allocation, right? So what we're working on is actually directly charging the cost center for all the expenses that they're using. Like instead of allocating the professional services, we will directly assign it to the cost centers. A lot of the physicians are in this professional services area, like the chairs and things like that. But you know, we want to make sure that it gets allocated to each department um, or each entity. So that would include FQ. Um, and then we, you know, that's with the physician expenses as well as contracts and purchase services and things like that. Um, and then for next year, we're going to develop a service line financial statement. Um, we're going to start that process at the end of the fiscal year in which we can actually say this is the cardiology service line. This is the post-acute service line, the behavioral service line. It's a little bit, um, instead of just by entity, it would be by services like orthopedic or neurology, things like that. So we can actually get um, what are our service lines and how, you know, how profitable are they. So that's more to come on that. That's the work that we're still working on. Next, next slide, please. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, uh, um, regarding um, the action plans that, that were mentioned, um, Plans already developed, or uh, or is that or is that um, ongoing? Um, it uh, for the we we've, we've started the MORs back in October of uh, uh, 2022. So we just started that for the whole hospital. 
But because we didn't really have the leadership in the FQ, you know, Catherine Horner has left. We don't have a replacement for her. Um, we're kind of like, you know, you know, going along without a, a, a leader. We decided not to do an MOR for FQ, but we are going to start doing that in this fiscal year as we have an interim um, CAO and we have uh, Dr. Mack. So we're going to start doing that and preparing to do that with. So what we do is we look at the expenses, we determine what's over, why it's going over, and then we um, we create action plans. What can we do to mitigate those expenses? So that's what uh, we're going to be doing this current year. Uh, one other question. Um, so um, do we not have an in-house um, uh, budget analyst or financial analyst? You do. Um, you, we have. We have. Um, so for the finance department in AHS, we have certain business partners or uh, finance partners, and, and she's on here right now, Elzeba. So Elzeba Ninan is your business partner for finance, and, and helps out with all of these items. You know, um, doing the budgets, uh, do, helping with the the MORs when when that's done, and mm -hmm. you know other items like you know getting capital, getting FTEs, things like that. She is your finance partner. Okay, and my, my last question is in regards to um, um, hours that, that are billable, that have been um, billable, um, that need approval uh, by the state of California or recognized by the, uh, by the state as billable hours. Um, who, who or how is that being negotiated? Um, I'm not sure about, I don't know, maybe Heather might be more, um, you know, has, has worked through that in the past, but I'm not sure, but I know there, um, that my, my CFO, Kim Miranda, our CFO, Kim Miranda, um, and the reimbursement team is involved in, um, in negotiating those, um, with the state. Hi, Mark. Um, you might remember that sometimes Marwin comes and talks to us. Uh, he's generally at that point giving us an update about the reimbursement from the state in that negotiation, and sometimes that's been in closed session. So we'll request another uh, session with them soon, and, and they'll give their latest report out. Okay. Uh, thank you, Heather. Sure. Um, so this is just some of the highlights um, that was, you know, uh, the volume and the revenue highlights. Um, we did um, something to point out is our average monthly volumes have increased but about, by about 25,000 from um, a month in 2021 fiscal year to 26,500 in 2023. So we did see an uptick of visits, um, you know, and, and, you know, this is most of the COVID vaccine happened in 2022, some in 2021, but mostly in 2022. And then they've, we still do them but they've tapered down in 2023. So that's still a 5% increase in, in visits if you um, exclude all the COVID um, noise. Um, and, you know, that revenue, as I mentioned earlier, increased over budget due to the conversion of Highland to FQAC. And then this, this is some of the expenses. Um, you know, our non-physician salaries, this means that the mid-level, <coughs> or APPs we call them, um, they are higher than budget in November and the year to date because we have additional, and you can see the FTEs was a little bit more because we are giving additional um, FTEs such as chow and other support to, 
to help with existing services. I know we're, we're looking at the staffing plan in those um, clinics to ensure that our physicians and providers have enough support uh, to do what they need to do. Um, so those, those ratios have not been uh, reviewed in a while, so uh, we want to make sure that they're um, staffed up and nobody is, you know, burning out because there's a lot of burnouts in the clinic, a lot of turnovers in the clinics because they're burned out. We want to we want to um, work on that. Um, and then we had some uh, favorable uh, variances in the benefits and retirement. It's just timing based on the spread of the budget. And then FICA, we, we kind of allocated FICA evenly. And, you know, towards the end of the year, as everybody reaches the, the threshold, mm -hmm. there's not being any more FICA. Right. And then the, after that, I mean, I don't have much more than, I have two appendices. One is the uh, finance committee presentation. And then the other one is, um, you know, the, the allocation of for entity financials, how we came up with that. I believe it was presented to you before on how we allocated certain things. So um, that, that's what the um, appendix two is. That hasn't been presented yet, Grace. Huh? Uh, the, do you mean the supplemental allocations or? No, um, so I'm just letting you know that in the appendix, we actually is included in this, uh, if you go down, um, a slide, please. Or I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I've included one, the finance committee presentation for the whole presentation. And towards um, page 27, so if you scroll down a little bit more, um, um, let's see if you can scroll down a little bit more. It's quite, um, it'll say November financial entity by uh, financial statement by entity. You can see the whole picture of what we presented to the board. Keep going down. Um, keep going down. Um, keep going down. Yeah, it's towards the end of the presentation. Um, uh, this one, yeah. Um, there you go. This is the entity-based financial. One more, please. So this just tells you, it, so you're getting the sliver right here of the FQAC clinic. So this is for the month, but you can see this is the whole, um, the allocation by entity. And then you go down one more. So that's for the month. And then one more. So you can see the system overhead allocation. Oh, sorry. The one with the green, please. Uh, yeah. You can see the green. In the green, these are the ones. We, the system overhead allocation, we actually did it below the line. So you're in, in, in your contribution margin, you're not getting any of the overhead, but that, that's how the overhead would look like. And then the measure A allocation, which is just based on direct expenses, that's how it would look like. Um, but it doesn't include um, CalAIM, which I need to fix, and then because that's really minor. And then the GPP and the QIP, this is for the month. This has not been allocated as we are not we're still trying to figure out the allocation method for those two uh, revenues. So the first item is expenses, and then the, the rest of them are revenues. And those last three items we have not allocated to anybody yet. And so this is the whole financial statement. So this is for the month, and then the next couple of pages is for the year. 
Does that make sense? Yes. And then towards, there's another appendix uh, that's included in here, and that is just the, you know, what was the allocation method uh, for the entity financials. So it's a couple of pages down. Um, so keep going down. It starts with the Whipley engagement next. So, yeah, and this is just background information on how we did the entity financial allocation, uh, the, the supplemental revenue allocation methods, and the system overhead methods, and the system overhead rates. So this is, um, I believe this was presented to you guys in the past, from what I understand, and how we engage. This hasn't been, this hasn't been presented. Oh, it hasn't been. I'm sorry. So um, just a synopsis of this. Um, we've engaged Whipley. A, a couple of years ago, it was before my time when, when I got here in 2021, they were well underway on, on, on this engagement. Um, so we had um, engaged them to study how we should be allocating um, the, to, to the SD financials. And so that's what this slide is. If you go down, this is the, um, this is the initial model was using 2021 budget. They developed a model, so this is our finance, um, our, um, our consultants, and then they implemented the model, and um, and then we're refining it as we go. The next item, please. Um, so this is um, how, how some of the items are, are allocated. And so, like you can see, um, the revenue and reimbursement, we use the EPIC reports to get collection percentages and the EPIC reports to allocate professional services. And then in the supplemental, we did a method for each one of them that would be on the next page. And then the shared expenses, like support services and professional services, has been allocated. So in your contribution margin, we, um, we put in the professional services allocation, and, but then the support services is in that green line below. It's not part of the contribution margin. Next, um, next slide, please. And this is um, this is how we the the allocation, the methodology that we use for every one of these items. So, um, I believe it was ETP. I think I made an error on this one. Um, let's see. This one is not allocated. So the GPP. And the QIP, you can see the QIP allocation and the GPP allocation method is pending because we still haven't done that, as you can see in the green. But everything else has been um, allocated. So these are the supplemental revenues, and then these are the basis of allocation. And then let's see if I have any more on this. Um, and then uh, next slide, please. This is just shared services, expenses, the kind of expenses that is allocated under the system overhead. So like, for example, finance, I fall in here, you know, somewhere in here is finance, which is probably under accounting or something, um, you know, but they have admin. Um, the ambulatory homeless, actually, this is now directly assigned into the FQ. We, we uh, met with, um, with Heather, and we determined what cost center is really related to FQ. So that's actually, this is um, an older 
version of, you know, the presentation, but that has been moved over to FQ because it, it, it just does the clinic, basically. Um, so you can see that accounting, IT, and all of these other things are, um, are in the shared system expenses. And then next slide, please. And this is just allocation by entity. Um, you know, the direct expenses is about this much. Um, it kind of comes up to this much, but we we are a little bit more um, uh, detailed on allocating expenses. Like for example, the salaries is allocated by a certain percentage. The purchase services, you know, the different categories of expenses are, are detailed allocation based on the usage for that. Um, for your for FQ, so you could be using, you know, five percent on purchase service, and the depreciation could be, I don't know, eight percent. So we do a more detailed allocation by line item, but this is the overall direct expenses. And that, that's all I had. Any other questions? Thank you. Thank you. Grace, I think this board is interested in, um, thanks so much for the for the presentation. This is really mm -hmm. like a big milestone for us, I think, to have these data in front. And I know how hard you've worked on getting to this point. Um, so yeah, don't let me be remiss in skipping, skipping over that. Um, now, now that we have it, I think this board has been really interested in, you know, advancing a strategic plan about expanding drop-in services and increasing our capacity to um, follow up with people on primary care and housing issues. And our contribution margin as an FQHC, you know, entity is negative. So what are the potential places, you know, potential categories that funding could come from? Is it like we have to save enough money in the rest of our service in order to be able to do the things that we're interested in doing? Could it come from allocation of supplemental revenues? What are the mm -hmm. processes that we have in the organization already where our board could become active in figuring out how, how we can build toward more resources to, to go toward the strategic priorities that we have? Well, one of the things we're looking at is just maximizing revenues. You know, we know that not all visits are built out, you know, and making sure that that's built out. So. That's work that's undergoing, um, you know, maximizing our, you know, revenues by eliminating denials, um, things like that. But I'm not sure about the supplemental revenues. I mean, we're working on a, like, a pro forma, and we just had the meeting on this. We were working to see, because we don't want to discourage people from expanding services based on the fact that, you, you know, if you look at your billings, you're not going to make it. We do have supplemental revenues that I think right. you know we can we can allocate towards the FQ, but we're still in the very beginning process of that. So we want to be able to do when we do a pro forma to expand services or things like that to add in the supplemental funding as part of your funding. Um, you know, if you can get grants, that would be great. I'm not sure how feasible it is to get grants or any other source. Um, of revenue would be great. But, um, and the thing I was going to tell you is, I'm not sure if you've connected with our strategy, our VP of strategy, 
you know, which is the overarching strategy that, that we've done um, in the work last year. Um, you know, we, we hired you, Ron, to help us with our strategy and our mission, vision, and, and, and um, goals. Um, and so we have now Jeanette Dong, who is a VP of strategy, that's looking at all the strategies to see what needs to be put forward and the timing of it. We're now going into our budget for the next fiscal year. We're starting that process really, um, you know, this month. Um, so, you know, with that process is a strategic plan as well. What can we do this year? strategy-wise to accomplish our goals um, and, and still, you know, have sustainability, to have sustainable financials. So we're doing that work now. So if you have some plans for strategic plans, I don't know if that got into the original plans that they did drafted up last year. But, you know, there is a, there is actually a placeholder for drop-in services, I think, uh, in the overall Alameda Health System strategic plan. Uh, so we'll definitely connect with uh, Jeanette Dong. I've, I've had one chance to talk to her, but I'd love for her to actually come to this conversation with our full board. And I think, you know, the performance that we've presented for the Bridge Clinic, which is, you know, part of the expansion of our FQHC, as well as our dental services, which our co-applicant board's familiar with, those have definitely taken advantage of these specific funding opportunities. But I think there's an opportunity for us to think strategically about the combination of, you know, specific targeted funding, supplemental funding, and mm -hmm. billing revenue, and and you know really really figure up, figure out how we can creatively use all those funding streams together to to support you know the the, the um, goals that we have in our strategic plan as a co-applicant board. And and Damon, who who um, prioritizes where the supplemental income goes as far as department or project or well, I mean, I don't know if there's a priority for it, but you know, the entity allocation that we just showed you was supposed to be to help with that. So you know which entity it goes to. Okay. And like we said, the GPP, which is, you know, GPP and QIP are pretty big dollar amounts mm -hmm. that we have mm -hmm. not, um, you know, figured out how to allocate. Yeah, I, I think, and I, when, so it sounds like we're in the beginning of the process for some of those supplemental funding sources. There's some methods that have already been developed, but I think, um, Loretta, you know, I think we could ask more questions about the existing methods for the existing funding as well and figure out ways to be involved as a co-applicant board in advocating mm -hmm. if you all think that, you know, changes, you know, would help us um, and might be reasonable. I think there's there's room for us to be part of developing the allocation processes for the supplemental funding that has yet to be allocated and also to, to just look back and understand and potentially reconsider um, processes that have already been developed. I think, um, you know, the Board of Trustees has made it really clear when we've been to the Board of Trustees to present, you know, with, with many of you that they, they expect to and like hearing our voices and want us to ask for things, um, you know, tap yeah. that really, really clear. So I think this is a place where where we can we can do that, you know, um, and and be in conversation. Obviously, there's you know many many priorities that a large system like ours has, but I think it's important for us to be clear about what's helpful for people experiencing homelessness and and where we might have some ideas about how to how to work together and collaborate on that. And the money the county gets um, 
for the homeless uh, services. Then we talked about trying to um, see if they could pass on a little more money to us so that we could um, upscale our program a bit. Yes, we've definitely, Lucy's on the on the call right now, so, you know, <laughs> if I said no, she would come off mute and be like, you're lying. <laughs> no, I think, I think in, in other counties, as we've talked about a lot, you know, our program and the county program are actually one and the same, and so we have a bit more challenging structure to navigate in order to mm -hmm. figure out how to make sure the, the revenues are lined up. So as an example, like if we look at Cal Ames, you know, in yeah. most counties and communities, the places where people are sort of managing Cal AIM, there's, there's, it's more of a, um, it's more integrated across the county system and the delivery system, and the, the approaches to where to hire community health workers, how to have them fit with right. them are happening inside of one system. I think, you know, it's fortunate that we have a number of really excellent partners here. Um, and I think some of the fact that we're distributed has allowed us to develop that excellence. Lifelong's got, you know, Center of Excellence. Roots is excellent. The county has excellent services. We do as well. And I think that's our strength here. I think the challenge is going to be figuring out, not just within Alameda Health System, but as you're pointing out, Loretta, across the county, how right. to make sure that we're really, really strategic about where the revenue belongs to get the maximum impact mm -hmm. on people experiencing homelessness. Right. This is Mark. Um, I'd like to find out um, at some point whether or not um, the, the drop-in services, whether that was um, actually part of uh, last year's uh, budget outlook. I wasn't aware of that, but it was not in the budget. Um, what we did put in the budget was the bridge clinic. Yeah, it's been part of the strategic planning process, so I think we can have Janelle right. come back because it is in it is a line in the strategic plan, and and we can talk to her actually about what the vision is for that going forward. But I do think we've talked about here that you know we were going to be opportunistic in the first year of the plan. Bridge is our biggest drop-in service. Mobile okay. health is a drop-in service. Dental drop-in. So we've expanded where we've had access to sort of these specific revenue streams to do that, Mark. Um, so it's not in the budget as an explicit sort of separate thing, but it is in the budget in that the expansion of bridge is absolutely an expansion of drop-in services. The expansion of dental is absolutely an expansion of drop-in services. And that's kind of how we've approached this in the first year of our strategy as a, as a co-applicant board. But I, but I appreciate your question about the larger issue. And I think it would be as Grace was saying, I think Jeanette would be the person who can help us think through how it will fit in future years in a bigger way. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly, I certainly would encourage uh, um, that uh, we would seek out her, um, her counsel or uh, her, her overall view about this issue uh, at a, at another board, at a uh, co-applicant board meeting at some point. Mm information and that, that we really appreciate you bringing that to us.
Yes, definitely. And I, I, I'm not sure, are we expected to bring this monthly, Heather? We've put you on a quarterly, quarterly um, okay. although there will be a presentation next month because it will be time for the budget. So we're working, you know, via the submission of the UDS report and gathering all the UDS data for 2022. Okay. We're preparing the budget because remember, we're a little behind on that um, because we put it off in... July when we were working out the supplemental fundings and the allocation when we were working out that BPR. So the expectation is that we're going to be working together, Elzaba and I, this month to prepare the budget that would get put in front of the CAB next month. But generally, the financial reporting is going to be quarterly. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again, Grace. Thanks. Okay. Let's go to um, item E, and uh, Heather, you're going to talk about the annual risk report. Indeed. So each year, um, so we were originally reviewing our risk activities rather frequently, and after doing so, we determined that once a year was going to be an adequate review of the risk activities for the Homeless Health Center. Um, so. Uh, in a moment, we're going to look at the data, but here in the analysis, I have described what was happening during 2022 for the Homeless Health Center, and I did also compare it to what happened in 2021, um, though I haven't described it here in the analysis, so I will tell you about it. Um, so if you look, I want to say it's about the third sentence. Um, during calendar year 2022, the Homeless Health Center patients represented 4% of patient relations events reported at AHS. And remember, those are the complaints and grievances. Patients who are coming and saying, I'm not satisfied with the service I received or there was a problem. So for Homeless Health Center patients, that was about 4% of all patient relations um, events that were reported. Um, most of that was about access, so we did break this down. So 33% of those complaints were related to access, 24% were related to the quality of care, 18% about, 18 about communication, and 6% about facilities, and 6 about professionalism. And some of those also were overlapping, so this is a breakdown that's very loose. Sometimes a patient grievance included all four of those topics, but we went to the, the primary reason for the complaint to break this down. Otherwise, it would get very complicated very quickly. Um, in addition to the risk events, the, or rather the patient relations events, there are these risk events, and risk events are the, where there's the potential for harm or injury. Um, and in this case, the Homeless Health Center patient risk events were represented as about 8% of all risk events at Alameda Health System. And they were primarily related to employee risk rather than patient risk. Um, this was 63%. It was related to um, behavioral or patient behavior and verbal violence that was happening. Now, I want to say this isn't specific to the homeless health center. There's verbal violence that's happening throughout our organization um, and and at Alameda Health System. But when I'm drilling down specifically into the ones that were related to the homeless health center, this was the most common thing that we were seeing. Um, and in that case, frequently they were described as this situation that required monitoring to confirm that no harm to the patient 
happened or that no additional intervention or if an additional intervention had to happen to prevent harm. And again, I want to just reiterate that, that this, in this case, was not about the patient, but it was about the employee. And there's not a way that our system, when we're marking these boxes, it doesn't um, allow for that the harm, is, when we're breaking down these different descriptions, it's, they, they always say patient. It's, it's not usually around um, employees, but we do leverage the system to talk about employees as well, and we encourage employees to um, document verbal violence and workplace violence that's happening. So if we go down to the next page, we're going to see the actual data. So you'll see that what this 63% um, is representing um, a, a total of eight patients, right, or eight um, incidences. So half, roughly above half, so five of the eight instances were verbal violence instances. So we're not talking huge numbers, but um, we, we did describe the percentage. So. There were, as you see, 3,300 patient risk events for our organization in 2022. 91 of them happened within the um, FQHC setting and what we consider our homeless health center setting. And then eight were related specifically to patients experiencing homelessness who were seen within our scope. Similarly, with our patient relations, you can see that we had 830 reported patient relations events. Those are, uh, again, the patient complaints or grievances, and roughly half of those were within uh, AFQHC setting, and 33 of them were patients experiencing homelessness. Uh, I do want to add that this is a significant increase as compared to last year's. So last year, I think we had one patient risk event and about 10 patient relations events, so it was a much lower number. We've been working very hard uh, within Alameda Health System to make the reporting system more uh, easy to use. Um, we've done things including allowing um, EPIC to directly report into our risk system. So the risk okay. system is called MIDAS, and so providers and staff can directly um, click a link in EPIC that attaches the patient to that um, experience and enters it into MIDAS which has allowed for better reporting and increased reporting overall for our system. Um, below, you just see the definitions. We just uh, try to help you understand how we're looking at these events and, and how they're described. So again, we've got the type of event and we've got patient's relations defined and the patient risk defined. And then you have these categories A through I. And as you're going down, um, from A through I, they're getting more severe, right? So A is a circumstance that has the capacity to call, cause harm, um, and then B, something happened. <laughs> it didn't reach reach the patient, but there might have been an error or an omission, so that, that's a little bit um, more serious. We go to level C, right? An event occurred that reached the patient, but didn't cause harm, and then D, was the most serious event that we had within our um, homeless health center where an event happened, it reached the patient and it required monitoring to make sure that no harm was done. E is temporary harm that required intervention and et cetera as you go down the line. Do you guys have any questions about that? Heather, I wanted to add one thing before the questions. Yes. Um, which is that um, I do think you know, it's hard to it's hard to know exactly the quantity, but some of the increase that you noted between last year and this year is about, you know, getting more reports into our process. 
I don't know if something has changed in the Alameda Alliance process, but that does filter in here, and those numbers of grievances have gone way up as well. So there may there may be something else, and, and I've heard from our patient relations, um, you know, leaders that that may be a, a trend across the industry that there's an increase in grievances happening, um, you know, around healthcare right now. That it's it's a stressful moment in our history and. So there are there are other reasons potentially beyond just the increase in reporting that the grievances are going mm -hmm. up or that these this reporting is going up. And I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that you know there there may be some other factors at play too, including an increase in really the number of of these events worth grieving about or being upset about that we really have to kind of investigate a little bit more. I I have several questions. Um, um, kind of. Um, Kind of asking um, just what Damon just reported. I'm just wondering um, how much of this grievance um, or complaint, um, given the, the nature of the type of patients that, um, that we serve, um, is it not possible that some of these uh, complaints and grievances are 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 a product of just um, the general uh, mental and behavioral state um, of the patient in general, and not necessarily having directly having to do with with uh, the service or care that they receive uh, in the first place. So I, I mean, I can talk a little bit about again the patient the patient risk. Um, several of those instances were happening in our substance abuse clinic and our, our buprenorphine and our bridge clinic essentially and they're also new to our FQHC system so it, it's also added on to the report as compared to last year that we're including them whereas last year we didn't include them and that may be an indicator at least for the for the verbal violence or the intensity of the situations that were happening there um, I can't speak to all of them being that. Again, I did a I did a quick review just to get a sense of what were these primary issues and what were going what was going on. Um, but yeah, Mark, that that very well could be part of it. Yeah, and I can just speak from my kind of general experience, like like Heather and the patient relations category, which isn't a systematic you know mm -hmm. investigation of the causes, but. I think on both sides, I think both on the staff and provider side and on the patient side, there's, you know, a lot of um, just stress that's contributing to escalating, um, you know, tensions and conflicts and challenges. Um, and that's been a theme in the ones of these that, that I've been involved in, um, you know, a, a, across our system. Again, it's not a, that's not a representative sample or a specific investigation, but just, you know, there is some indication that, that you're onto something there, Mark. Um, my other question um, in regards to um, um, basically documenting these incidences between patients uh, and caregivers or doctors uh, in the setting that are uh, basically recorded in MIDAS and are tied to the patient, uh, to the identity of the patient uh, and the incident, I'm wondering whether any of the information that's being um, collected by MIDAS um, regarding patients that might be um, uh, verbally or violently abusive, um, whether physically or verbal, 
whether or not um, that follows them in other parts of um, the services um, that we offer in other clinics at other locations to at least give doctors and caregivers a heads up about the possibility of, of encountering um, that kind of abuse from a specific patient before, before they actually arrive to their appointment. Yeah, I, this is Terrence Shaw. I can speak to that. Um, I've been working with Sarita and the quality team. We're looking at once the person is identified as a violent encounter and they have been disruptive, we're looking at how do we put a banner on Health Connect that once you sign in, it will show, you know, proceed with caution. I'm using these in air quotes. Patient has a history of violence and it will show verbal, physical, so that you know how to engage with the person when you first sign into Epic. There's more work to come from that, and that's being developed in the background. And I think the first trial of this will be in the emergency department. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that would be great because I, because I, um, um, I think uh, just as much as uh, patients need to be be protected, um, so, 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 so do the um, so do the caregivers and hospital staff. Thank you so much, Mark and um, Terrence as well. Um, Terrence Fitzgerald Shaw is our interim CAO for ambulatory care. This is his first time joining us on this meeting, and we are grateful that he is here with us. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. As soon as we finish this topic, we're going to do the program report, and, and we'll um, perhaps he'll be able to do a little more of an introduction then, because I did include uh, the announcement of his presence as our CAO on our program report as well. Oh, thank you, Heather. Okay, any more questions for Heather? Okay. Oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Heather. Um, you can go ahead on IOS, our program report. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay, this is your, your monthly program report, and this is the month um, in which we talk about patient satisfaction, but before we do that, we just wanted to remind you that we completed our clinical monitoring visit, and we did that in December, so just last month, and so that's the last of our, the year ended, and it was the last of our monitoring visits, so we're starting up again in 2023 with our quarterly um, monitoring visits, so you'll see more to come on that. Um, and the Bridge Clinic address was updated with HRSA to specify the actual Bridge Clinic rooms. This was um, an edit that we needed to do in order to be super specific about where on our campus uh, those services were being held um, to make sure that we don't have any overlapping conflict with um, other pillars because um, we have both HRSA and non-HRSA services in an area that is very close together. Um, so uh, patient satisfaction, remember we use CG CAPS to report on patient satisfaction um, at our uh, ambulatory care clinics. And, I'm, and I know that this is super small and difficult to see. So I encourage you when, with your electronic documents uh, that we've sent to you or if we've sent them, them to you by mail, to really zoom in so that you can see them better. Um, uh, so you can see the, the various lines in the general upward trend for our patient satisfaction for recommending the practice, which is um, one of our key questions for patient satisfaction. Um, do you want to go down to the next 
slide, Brenda. Um, here they, they dive into uh, recommend the practice in a little bit more detail and a different way to visualize it. So you can see the dotted line is the goal for fiscal year 2022. Um, and you can see, for example, that Marina Wellness Center is just above that goal and we have the others uh, coming close to it. Um, um, so you have the system as it averages out is the teal line, the dark teal line all the way to the left followed by East Mountain Hayward Highlands Marina and Newark. I don't know if any of you utilize the East Mont Center, but I, I do from time to time. And um, it, it's amazing how much it's gone up in every area. I, I, I'm so impressed. Every time I walk in there, I, I just get a, a, a feeling of pride seeing it, you know, knowing that our homeless health care uh, patients can go there. And um, it, it's just, it's really wonderful. That is fantastic to hear. I'm sure Maritza would be excited to hear that. And I will, I will share that information with her as well. Um, she was, uh, I got a chance to talk to her today. So yeah. I think I think that's the clearest, like on the last slide, that is the clearest trend in the data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's really wonderful, especially if you if you are a patient and you utilize AHS uh, services on a personal basis, it just really it warms your heart. <laughs> Go ahead, um, um, Brenda, if you can click up um, to the page that we were just using before. So often we're looking at data overall and we're also looking at trends over time. Mm -hmm. so this is what uh, Damon is describing. Um, and you see Eastmont, you see how that line is above the rest and then how clearly it's going up. Yeah. Um, so, so that's uh, what Damon is referring to right now. All right, do you want to um, go down? <laughs> there we go, back to the downward arrows. You can go one more. We've covered that one. All right, now we get into our utilization, which we also see each month. And again, this is our patients overall for a one-year period. Um, and we're seeing roughly 3,300 patients per year. Um, this has pretty, been pretty consistent as we roll along and look at this each month. It's generally in the in the 32 to 3400 range for the year. Um, unduplicated patients is constantly changing. Remember, we're using our, our registry, and so patients come on and come off of that registry um, because they stay on it for a year once they're put on, and unless they have another qualifying event, then, then they will fall off uh, one year later. So here we're divided by Highland Primary Care, Highland Specialty, Highland Urgent Care, Highland Dental, and we have our substance um, disorder clinic, which is uh, the place for Bridge, followed by Eastmont, our mobile health, Hayward, and Newark. And these are the total number of unduplicated patients that are seen at each of these places. When we go to the next slide, um, these are the number of visits. Wow. And so then in this case, we may be having um, duplicated patients and we've yeah. divided it up by primary care, specialty, urgent care, et cetera. 
go to the next one for us, Brenda? Here we have our visit over time. Right? Okay. Which we look at each month. And Brenda, we can we can go to the, the last one. Um, I do want to add that uh, patient satisfaction. One of the ways that uh, we want to serve patients better is through our electronic health record through Epic. And I did have a request based on that from our ambulatory team. Um, ambulatory is interested in sending a text out to all people who are not currently accessing their electronic health record. <laughs> at all and so we've recently launched there's a text messaging system that we use called well health we use this to provide um, reminders but we also sometimes do broadcast messages to various folks uh, recently we used well health for example to reach out to all patients around the COVID vaccine and invite them to come in for their COVID vaccine or to invite them to come in for their um, for their flu vaccines as well uh, we did a specific targeted campaign for patients because you can use well health to drill into specific patients. It's not necessarily going to go to all patients. Uh, similarly, with MPOX, we had sent out a broadcast message when for those people who are eligible to invite them in. And so it's a tool that we really think is useful for patients and that they'll be able to be served better if they use this tool. And we think that this will also drive their patient satisfaction up if they engage with their electronic health record and use the tool. And so some of our leaders had asked for some input from patients around the use of the broadcast message to send to patients. And I was hoping that I could share with you today a um, proposed message that may go out to patients and to just get your feedback and response on that. Um, so the suggestion would be that we would send uh, a text message to those who are enrolled in the text messaging and who don't currently engage with their electronic health record to say, join our secure Alameda Health System patient portal, see your test results, message your providers, click this link to sign up. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put that into the chat box so that you guys can see it as well. I'm just interested to hear how you think you might respond if you weren't engaged with your electronic health record if you were to receive this text. Not sure.
um, Epic was first installed way back when, and um, we were talking about getting patients signed up for my chart. One of the um, one of the issues that we talked about was, um, first of all, a lot of patients don't have computers at home, so they're relying on their um, their telephone to, uh, to take care of their business. <clears throat> and then a lot of our customers that have, our patients that have telephones are using the um, Obama free phones, which don't always have very good internet connection. So, you know, there's a few obstacles there that, um, needed to be worked on perhaps and in the beginning we said that they were going to have people possibly in the waiting room in k6 uh to show patients how to sign up how to use the um their mobile phone and i don't know that that ever happened i know the doctors were trying to do it but once again for the doctors to have to take that on they're busy enough you know it could be something that the volunteers could do i would think Thank you so much for your feedback. If you have additional feedback um, around this, feel free to email me um, independently as well. Um, so we're not going to continue. Uh, remember, no mm -hmm. discussions outside of the meeting, but you individually are allowed to email me and, and provide additional um, feedback. This isn't an action item or anything like that. Um, no. an opportunity to provide some feedback about uh, uh, Text that they're interested in sending out, and I and I really appreciate your thoughts on that. Uh, uh, Heather, I, I do have another question. Um, is, is there any kind of uh, deadline associated with establishing uh, this line of communication? No. Okay. Thank you so much. And Heather, will the um, will they be in multiple languages? Yes. Generally, um, we have the it's each patient is associated with their language within EPIC, and so they'll send out the specific language, the text in the specific language uh, oh, good. when they send them out. Like I said, they are using them for uh, patient uh, appointments and also for other yes. things, and so um, they have it in their language. Good. Super. All right, so now we're on to um, uh, the opportunity that, uh, for Parents to introduce himself. We talk about leadership and advocacy and things that are changing in the ambulatory care system, including the additional coverage that Damon and I have been providing over a period of time for uh, other places within ambulatory care that we do uh, to the best of our ability. Most of this is not changed. Um, but just uh, rem a reminder of the additional things we're doing. I am uh, for another 90 days helping out at our dental clinic specifically as we work on uh, getting a new practice manager here. Um, the orthopediatry marina wellness responsibilities have decreased a bit because we have uh, an interim contractor who's supporting that department that started in January. She's here. She's super. Um, and then uh, the other big change we have is that Terrence Gerald Shaw has been selected as our interim CAO, and he's here today on our meeting. So I'm hoping he's in a safe place to say hello. Yeah, thank you, Heather. I didn't know I would be on, and I was in my gym clothes, so sorry <laughs> I left my camera on, everyone. Um, I'm Terrence. Um, I've been with AHS now for about seven months. 
um, previously employed at Kaiser Permanente. Um, I've been with the ambulatory team working as vice president of nursing, um, supporting clinical nurse practice. And previous to this interim assignment, I was interim vice president for um, San Leandro Hospital. So um, I've been filling, a, filling in a lot of multiple roles at the same time in interim spots everywhere. So I'm starting to become a jack of all trade here. Um, it's a great introduction to AHS. Um, I look forward to working with everyone on an individual basis some, at some point in this transition. So um, Heather, once again, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to introduce myself and, and meet the, the, the broader audience. Absolutely, and um, he's officially on the invite list for our meeting, so uh, we will have him joining us other months as well, and so we look forward to that, and that's the end of my report. Okay. Wonderful. Um, do we have any public comment tonight? Um, Loretta, we do have... Uh, Did I miss something? We have, uh, no, we have Lucy Kazan here, and I just wanted to oh, her in this moment to take advantage of public comment to provide a bit of an update about the storm response for, which we mentioned earlier, but I didn't have any details on. So, Lucy, if you can hear me, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And good evening, everybody. Thanks so much, as always, for having me. I learned so much and, um, every time I come. Um, so just wanted to give you all a quick update. Obviously, these storms, as we've all experienced, um, and continue to experience um, have been um, significant for many. Um, hold on, one, sorry, I've got a interrupter. Okay, um, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so, um, so just wanted you all to know. You know, we've been really focused on the response with folks who are out on the street, folk, you know, folks who are unsheltered mm -hmm. um, and um, and working, you know, to support and provide information about where warming centers are. You know, our first, as always, in, in kind of any of these imminent emergencies, right, is um, getting information out, right? So, and we really prioritize to encampment, um, largely those in rural areas where there's a lot more flooding, um, you know, um, folks that live along various waterways where, um, and, and so we did experience largely, that was in East and South County, a lot of flooding and encampments. So helping give folks that information, get them out somewhere safe. Um, and then on the, um, and then, um, and then obviously just the overall conditions of encampments. It's really muddy. There's lots of flooding. A lot of folks stuff is, is um, destroyed. We did we I did get a number of reports of people with um, like swamp foot um, pneumonia we were able to thankfully um, COVID numbers are extremely low right now um, so we were able to convert almost half of our isolation quarantine um, hotel resource to work with the street health teams across the county for them to be able to bring in the most medically vulnerable or folks um, you know, get those folks like those I just described out of the rain for at least to provide some period of respite. And then we're working right now and have been working over the last week on deploying all available resources, tents, tarps, duct tape, cots, so that um, kind of like camping cots so that people can raise themselves several inches off of the ground. So we are um, receiving that and, and continue to receive additional um, and so we are pushing that out as rapidly as possible to all of the teams out on the streets um, and then we're working on also some laundry service 
um, to help um, people be able to um, dry their belongings. But I think, um, and the last thing I'll say is I think that um, is that this really is something, you know, certainly I continue to get videos and pictures of the um, conditions in encampment, and I really see this as something that will be at least several weeks, if not a month, of us really working with folks to, um, you know, be, be, because, um, uh, yeah, just because of the devastation they've experienced. So, you know, bringing somebody supplies today does nothing tomorrow if they're, right, um, if it, when it rains again. So just the duration of this um, and so, yeah, that's where we are right now with it. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you all may have for me uh, about the response. Oh, the last thing I will say is we also, as warming centers um, or expanded sh uh, shelters have come online, we've been in real time keeping our website up to date. Um, so if anybody asks you questions or you have questions, all of the information we've been, uh, we, we update um, as soon as we get it um, so that we can push out all that information. Good. Is somebody supplying the hot meals? There, that's a great question. Some, I know some cities are, have been trying to bring like hot soup in particular, like mm -hmm. hot soup, hot coffee out to folks just to give them something warm. Um, we have not been supplying that. Um, the warming centers, all of them offer food and then there have been like some expanded daytime centers and those offer um, meals as well. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Lucy. That was, that was good, good information. Thank you all. Okay, so is there any public comment? We don't have any public comment tonight, I don't think. Do we, Heather? Nothing in addition to leveraging yeah. Lucy's mouth. I think you're... Okay. How about our board members? Any uh, comments? before we adjourn. Okay. So I have the time as 7.05 and we are adjourned. Good night, everybody. Good night. It's good seeing everybody. Oh, one more thing, one more thing. Don't leave yet. Is the next meeting going to be in person? No. Oh, good, okay, okay. Okay, because I, I won't be here next month. I'll, I'll miss you all, but I'll be in New York. And our um, Rich is going to handle everything perfectly, I know. <laughs> yeah, and I'm happy to discuss next meeting. Um, but for this meeting, in the consent agenda items, um, the board approved meeting remotely for next month. So Okay, super. I'll be by Zoom. Super, super. Thank you, Kayla. Yeah, of course. Have a good night. Bye, Have a good Bye, night. Everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, Mark.